Okay, we'll be reading 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will, men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are, are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest, manifest to all, as theirs, as theirs also was. But you, have carefully, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, Love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be here this morning. Uh, it's a joy to have the word open again this morning. A lot of things here in these few verses in 2 Timothy 3. Um, would want you to know up front. As seems to be the case more often than not, there's a lot more here than what we're going to be able to put forth this morning. Uh, several of these verses could be preached as separate breakout messages. But it's my hope that we can uh, gain insight and instruction from God's word through all of these verses. I'd like to spend... Perhaps the bulk of the time in the last few verses, as we're looking in this series, uh, we're, we're calling this month of July, Anchored Living. What it is to live anchored in Christ. We talked a little bit about that last week as we spoke to freedom that we have in Christ. And this week we're going to talk about being anchored in our living requires being anchored in this word.
This is a word that is largely despised today. The task that's called for for each one of us following Jesus is a very high bar. Especially in light of the context in which we live in these days. So, to that end, as a preface, uh, I ask if you would to join me. We're going to pray. And we're going to look and see here what God and His Word has to teach us this morning. Father, the heavens declare Your glory. The firmament shows Your handiwork. And the earth is Yours in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell within. Lord, You are our rock our fortress and our deliverer. You're our strength in whom we will trust. We will call upon you for you are worthy to be praised. And it's through you alone that we shall be saved from our enemies. Lord, we thank you for being our great shepherd. And in these last days in which we live, Lord, we need a shepherd who tends to our soul We need to be led in paths of righteousness. We need your rod and we need your staff to comfort us in the midst of difficulties. Help us, Lord, to understand what's needed in these last days. Your word is essential to anchored living. Make us walk, as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, make us walk in the path of your commandments. As we hear your voice in the pages of scripture, I pray that we would be quick to follow. Lord, this day we ask that you would lead us in your truth and that you would teach us through your spirit. For you are the God of our salvation and whom we trust. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Paul Nyquist in his book, Prepare, subtitled, Living Your Faith in an Increasingly Hostile Culture. He spends a few chapters charting out the course for where we've been over the last 50 plus years. And he charts the course by way of some court cases in our country. How did we get to where we are today is the question that he poses. A few of these court cases help explain the perilous days that we live in. That's talked about here in chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Timothy. I'd like to give you just a bullet list of some of these. I do believe it's helpful to see. Because just as Paul is writing to Timothy in in his day, many of these things we're reading about in 2 Timothy 3 are very relevant for us living here today in 2016. Emerson versus Board of Education, 1947. Supreme Court expanded the federal law to apply to state and local jurisdiction, stating this high and impregnable wall of separation. You've heard the term separation of church and state, right? The state must be protected from the church. This was something that came out back in 1947. Fast forward 15 years, Engel versus Vital, 1962. Prayer and Bible reading were removed from the public schools. 1962. Fast forward another 13 years. Roe versus Wade. You're probably familiar with that court case. Women were given the constitutional right to have an abortion, resulting in the murder of millions of innocent children. 
Fast forward seven more years, 1980, Stone versus Graham. In this particular court case, removed the Ten Commandments from the public schools. Even a picture of the Ten Commandments was deemed a violation of the establishment cause. Fast forward another 12 years, Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992. The court overturned an old requirement for minors to gain parental consent for an abortion, allowing them now an abortion with, 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 with a, without a form, any kind of form, of permission granted by a judge. A few, few years later, in 1996, Romar versus Evans, a major decision for the gay community. The court decided that a Colorado state constitutional initiative that denied special rights for homosexuals and bisexuals was unconstitutional. And this provided legal precedent for gays to gain protected status as a minority group. Fast forward to 2003, court case Lawrence versus Texas. This ruling provided the legal foundation for gay marriage as we know it today, striking down a Texas law making sodomy a crime. Fast forward to just a few years ago in 2013, United States versus Windsor. The court struck down the Defense of Marriage Act called DOMA. You might be familiar with that. It was signed originally by President Clinton back in 92, some 19, 20 years earlier. Well, in 2013, in this particular court case, they struck down the Defense of Marriage Act, which essentially restricted the federal interpretation of marriage and spouse to only refer to heterosexual unions. And this court case essentially removed any federal barrier to the legalization of gay marriage. Now, Mr. Nyquist writes his book in the, in the early stages of 2015. We know just a year ago in June of 2015, there was another pretty significant court case that happened. Obersfell versus Hodges. And in that particular court case, the Supreme Court ruled in favor five to four legalizing gay marriage. I realize that this is not in any way, shape, or form an exhaustive list of culture-shaping court cases. But it is a starter list for sure. A list that provides us with some kind of handle on where we've gone as a nation and how quickly things have just spiraled downward. When I think of spiraling downward, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of Romans 1, 18 to 32. Nyquist speaks of a postmodern mindset which essentially a mindset that rejects absolutes and accepts relativism. D.A. Carson says postmodern epistemology, in other words, the way people think in postmodern thought, the way people think insists that both the foundations and the methods are, listen, they're culturally contrived. And he says, therefore, the resulting knowledge is necessarily the function of particular cultures. In other words, to use the prophet Jeremiah in his words, chapter 7, verse 28, this is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord, nor receive correction. Jeremiah says, truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. The Bible as truth 
is no longer received in large part. If knowledge is truly culturally contrived, and the culture is largely bent against the truth of Scripture, what does that mean for those who still follow Jesus and adhere to this Word of God? You ever see a fish swim upstream? That's really what we're up against because the stream is rapidly going one way. And the direction that it's going, church, is against the truth of God's word. Second Timothy 3 verse 1 says, but know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Know this. He says to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, one of the pastoral letters, remember, right? First Timothy, second Timothy, Titus. Paul is speaking to Timothy, who's ministering and pastoring in Ephesus. And Paul and Titus is speaking to Titus, who's ministering on the island of Crete. And he, he's telling Timothy here at the beginning of this chapter... Here's something that you need to keep in mind. This is an imperative. Timothy, know this. Be constantly knowing this, Timothy. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. And Paul finds himself awaiting execution... In a Roman prison, I, I didn't make that up either. It's, it's, it's here in the scripture. He tells us as much in chapter 4. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul understands that he's about to die. This final letter. And he's writing to exhort Timothy in the faith to keep going. Keep going, Timothy. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Don't stop. Keep up following the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep the faith. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. It's going to be hard. But fight the good fight. Go until you finish the race, Timothy, and see that you keep the faith. Paul finds himself writing in the midst of perilous times... Waiting in prison. Paul is addressing Timothy about these perilous times. And he himself is in prison. Perilous situation. And it's in this context today that we look at 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17. I'd like you to consider this morning. What's needed in these last days. These last days. Sometimes called the church age. The time after Christ has left. Acts 2. Spirit has come. And we live in these last days. Waiting for the return of our Lord. 
what's needed in these last days. What we find here is this final letter from Paul here in 2 Timothy. It places a premium on the essentials. And in the space of four chapters in 2 Timothy, Paul distills the basics for Timothy. Here's what I want you to know, my friend. As you minister to the flock in Ephesus, be aware of the dangers that surround you. Guard yourself against those trying to pervert the truth of the gospel. Remember what you've been taught. Carry the baton of truth forward, Timothy. What are the essentials for anchored living in the midst of a culturally contrived people? When truth is ever-changing, based upon the keepers of knowledge in any particular culture, how then does a follower of Jesus navigate these perilous last days? To give you a picture of these perilous days... Look with me at verses 2 through 5, chapter 3. Men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boasters, proud, blasphemers. Disobedient to parents. You know, before we keep going on this list... If, if we get a good handle on this list, this list really in many ways explains the situation that we find ourselves in, doesn't it? When these things are happening, it ought not be a surprise to us. He tells Timothy, in the last days, these things are going to be happening. Unthankful, unholy, Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These are men who, in verse 8, resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved or, or reprobate concerning the faith. And after providing characteristics of these perilous days and providing an example of what these people like to do and how they act... We see then a transition of contrast take place when we get to verse 10. But you, but you, you Timothy, but you, you've carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering or patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. That's verses 10 through 12. So as we look at the central question in the text today, what's needed in these perilous last days? What are the essentials for anchored living as a follower of Jesus 
in the midst of worldly opposition? What are the essentials? Here's the first one in verses 10 and 11. Godly influence. Godly influence. But you have carefully followed. That, that phrase has in mind the idea of discipleship. He says, you are fully aware of how I live. Not just what I've spoken. Yeah, you've heard what I've said. But you know, Timothy, how I've lived. You followed my doctrine. That's a word for teaching. You followed my manner of life. That, that another word we could insert there is lifestyle. You, you followed my lifestyle. You followed my purpose. What was Paul's purpose? Paul's purpose was to walk in step with Christ, to imitate Christ. Remember, Paul was the one who was calling people to imitate him as he imitated whom? Christ. His purpose was about Christ. Preaching Christ. You've carefully followed, Timothy, my faith. And here I was reminded of the verse in Hebrews 13, 7, which says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word to you. Paul's done this with Timothy. He's spoken the word. Whose faith follow. Considering the outcome of their conduct. Listen. As we think about people who are influencing us today. Are we considering at all the outcome of their conduct? Are we, are we considering at all their faith? Do we only tend to follow those people who seem to have it all together? Those people who seem to always be in the spotlight? Or are we concerned at all about those who are living a godly life? Imitating their faith. He says, Timothy, you've carefully followed my faith. You've carefully followed my long-suffering, patience. You see, Paul was, wherever he went, if you track the Mediterranean travels and his missionary journeys, you see that he was constantly opposed wherever he went. And Paul served as a model of long-suffering, patience for Timothy. You followed my love. Listen, witnessing to people who are opposed to your message is not an easy task, amen? It's not. Paul had a love for people, his own countrymen in particular. We see that in the book of Romans. These people who were far from the Lord, who stumbled over the stumbling stone. Paul had a love for his countrymen. That they too would come to know and follow Jesus. And the Bible teaches that we too are to love one another. We're to love our spouses, men. Parents, we're called to love our children. To train them up in the ways of the Lord. And yes, the Bible also teaches that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. That's a hard one, isn't it? 
The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us through what? Through Jesus' death on the cross. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us while we were yet what? Sinners. He says, Timothy, you followed my perseverance, endurance through the trials. Timothy, you followed the persecutions and the afflictions. These specific events that have happened in Paul's life. You've carefully followed all these things, how I've walked through them, how I've handled situations. And you might be inclined to ask, well, he brings up Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. It ought to cause us to go back to the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Acts. Acts 13 and 14 is the the account of the first missionary journey. And he goes to Antioch. He goes to Cyprus first and then goes to Antioch. And then chapter 14, he goes into Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. What happened at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra? Well, we see that there's the gospel truth is preached. We see that some people receive it and there are a large number of people who are opposed to it in Antioch. He goes on to Iconium. The gospel is preached. More people are in opposition. He goes on to Lystra. He preaches the gospel. He was a crippled man there. And the people are trying to sacrifice to him, think they're gods, remember? It's about that time when some of the Jews who had stirred up riot in Antioch and Lystra have arrived on the scene, excuse me, from Iconium. They're they're now in Lystra. And the Bible tells us, if you look at chapter 14, pick it up at verse 19, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Listen to this in 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Remember, Lystra is where he was stoned. He goes back there. He goes back to Iconium. He goes back to Antioch, the place where there were some problems where there was large opposition. He goes back there. Why? Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, listen to what he says. We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. We must, through many tribulations... Think about those words as we go back to 2 Timothy. And he's saying, Timothy, you've carefully followed my persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. Remember, this was the first missionary journey. Timothy doesn't join Paul until the second missionary journey. But coming through Lystra, seeing what happened to Paul, I'm sure Timothy was well aware, if not an eyewitness to seeing what happened to Paul. He saw how Paul responded to such an event. Timothy, you saw what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, 
the Lord delivered me. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Listen, I think it's important to say this in light of what the text says. While the Lord delivered Paul out of all of those particular afflictions, that is not to say that those of us in Christ who are following Jesus, who find ourselves in afflictions, who find ourselves being persecuted because we are a follower of Jesus, that does not mean that we are guaranteed to be delivered out and always be safe from those things. Our protection, our safety is in Christ. Paul says, to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There was an understanding here that as I'm living my life, the Lord wasn't done with Paul yet. The Lord still had work for Paul to do. He delivered him out of those situations, out of those afflictions, because he had more work for Paul to do. It was also for God's glory that he delivered him. Timothy has a godly influence in his life. In fact, I would go so far as to say he had godly influences. Right? Because we read earlier in the chapter, we see that not only he had Paul, who was an influence in his life, but he had a mother named Lois, and he had a grandmother named Eunice. And it's interesting to me that Timothy had a Greek father. What instruction won out in that household? Seems that the godly influence of mom and grandmother prevailed. Greek mythology lost out to biblical truth in that home. Praise God. Brought up in a two-parent home and yet trained in two completely different ways. Praise God, Timothy had godly influences in the home. Praise God, Timothy had a Paul in his life as well. Another man, another man. He needed a man. He had a man in his life who was living out what his mom and grandmom had taught him from the scriptures. In these perilous last days, whose life are you influencing? And who's influencing your steps? Are you influenced today by the great athlete, the superstar, the singer of the band? You can fill in the blanks. The latest fad. The influence for Timothy was not only godly, listen, but it was observable. It was observable. When you walk with someone and you observe their life, you start to notice the power of their influence. Perhaps it would be good that we, we pray to the Lord that he would send godly influencers our direction. Parents, this would be a great prayer for our own children. Not only that we would be an influencer toward the things of Christ for them, but that they would have peers who are encouraging and influencing them to follow Jesus. We need more men and women committed to following, holding up the cause of Jesus, no matter what it costs. So essential number one, 
as we ask the question, what, what are the essentials for anchored living as a follower of Jesus in the midst of worldly opposition? Godly influence. It's, it's large. Godly influence. We live in a in, in technology age. Many of us today in this era, we're glued to a screen. We like to look at a screen, whether it's a laptop screen, desktop screen, or more likely the, the one that's glued and attached to people's hands. The one that people can't seem to get their face out of and have a conversation with other people. What kind of influence are we going to have? What else, according to the text, is essential for anchored living? Look at verse 12. It's kind of a follow-up to what he's just got done talking about. He says, yes, in all, you might underline that, all who desire All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Here's the second essential. Godly desire. Godly desire. Godly influence, godly desire. Is there a desire to live godly in this present age? Persecution is not solely reserved for the likes of the Apostle Paul. And what the text teaches us in verse 12 is not, I believe, very well understood or embraced by the followers of Jesus today. Instead of suffering persecution, what gets broadcasted oftentimes is health, wealth, and prosperity. Becoming a Christian will make you wealthy, healthy, and will prosper you. That seems to be a large message promoted today. The message that tends to get heard in regard to this is that being a follower of Jesus will take care of your problems. And long term, that's true. But the message promoted is that following Christ affords you great privileges of wealth, prosperity, and health. What happens when you hold to that view and you come to 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not everyone desires to live godly in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, all who desire to live anchored in Christ, will suffer persecution. Not maybe, not might, not perhaps, but will. I do believe, I said this before, that we, we don't know, we haven't yet really, I think, fully understood what it is to be persecuted like our brothers and sisters around the globe. But I do believe we're on the leading edge of it here in this country. It's coming. It seems to be coming very quickly. It's bound to happen in the midst of these perilous last days where the love of many will grow cold, the Bible says. Hatred and opposition manifest themselves against God and against his son Jesus. 
John 16 says, in this world, Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world, he says, before he goes to the cross. What's needed in these days is godly desire to live in Christ. And that means a change in the way we think. Jesus says in John 15, verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's pretty clear, isn't it? If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. John 15, 23, a few verses later, he says, he who hates me hates my father also. So the folks who seem to be okay with God speak but get turned off when we talk about Jesus, they don't understand fully what the Bible teaches because the ones who hate Jesus also, by definition, hate God. They go together. God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. I want you to remember this, too. In the midst of carrying out something that's really, really hard and difficult... Matthew 5, verse 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. And we heard Isaiah 53 earlier this morning. Like a sheep going to the slaughter, he kept silent. Remember that? Blessed are, are, are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Listen, great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let me give you one other one to think about, to take, just put in your pocket and remember. We fast forward to the life of the apostles in Acts 5, 41. Remember, they've been getting chastised for not teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. In Acts 5, 41, after they get chastised again, so they departed from the presence of the council. Listen to what happened here. Listen to what this says. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his All, all, it says in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Is there a godly desire? And that desire is going to land ourselves in the midst of persecution because we have identified ourselves with whom? Jesus, the person whom the world largely opposes and hates. And we're connecting ourselves with Jesus and we're walking in these perilous last days anchored in Jesus. And so get ready. Get ready, it's happening. It's already going on. I read some of those court cases. Just kind of gives us a little bit of flavor for how we've gotten to where we are. Are you gonna live godly? As we've been talking about in Hebrews, 
I'll attach this. Are you going to live godly all the way to the end? Are you going to endure for the sake of the gospel all the way to the end? So that's essential number two. The essentials for anchored living as a follower. Godly desire. What else, according to the text, is essential for anchored living? Look at verse 13. But evil men and imposters, deceivers, swindlers, sorcerers, all those words fit right there for imposter, will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue. I love these words. You must continue, church. You must continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. Godly influence is needed. Godly desire is needed. Godly discernment is needed. Godly discernment is an essential in the day and age we live in. The text advocates that evil men and imposters are going to continue to get worse in these perilous last days. They're going to keep on deceiving people, milking people for money, promoting a message that has the form of godliness but is absent of the truth of the gospel. Timothy, as he pastors this church in Ephesus, is going to need godly discernment. In James and elsewhere, we we read this phrase, do not be deceived, my dear brethren. Do not be deceived. Colossians 2.8, it says, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Evil men and their deceptive waves are going to grow worse. But you, Timothy, he says, here's the key. And not simply for Timothy. But for those of us in Christ with a heart's desire to follow Jesus... Continue in the things which you've learned and been assured of. Knowing from whom you've learned them. Many of you sitting in the chairs here today. You've known these holy scriptures for some time. Continue in the things that you've learned. You know there seems to be a pattern for young people when they grow up. And some of them go off to school. Some of them go off and they live on their own and they got jobs of their own. And one of the things that ends up happening at some point in those pivotal years, usually late teens, early 20s, is that they start to think that what their parents taught them and the things they learned in Sunday school or in the church growing up, those are just old traditional things that aren't relevant a whole lot anymore today. And they start thinking that there must be something else out there and they start searching and they start seeking. And as they do, they find themselves quickly getting into trouble. Paul says to Timothy, continue in the things that you've heard. Continue in the things that you've learned. Godly discernment helps to weed out the truth from the air, doesn't it? Godly discernment leads your feet down the path of righteousness instead of turning aside to the path of wickedness. Godly discernment instructs your lips what to say and what not to say. 
Sometimes, listen, sometimes what you don't say is most helpful in a situation. Godly discernment always has at the forefront, what would God in his word have me to do? Godly discernment is fostered then through a steady diet of God's word. God's spirit working through God's word in you will provide you with discernment that's needed to navigate these perilous last days. Listen, Godly discernment doesn't mean you're going to be popular with man. Godly discernment may mean breaking off an unhealthy relationship. It might mean making a hard decision that is unfavorable to many. But continue in the things which you've learned and you've been assured of. Paul says at the beginning of Galatians... Remember, they were getting sidetracked by another gospel, which really wasn't the gospel at all. And he says in chapter 1, verse 7, there are some who trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. There are many today in the world we live in who want to do the very same thing. They want to trouble you. They want to dangle something else out there for you to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have godly discernment to know which way to go? To know what to say. To know what not to say. One who exhibits godly discernment. Continues to hold fast the faithful word. Remember this is the instruction that Paul gives to Titus in chapter 1 verse 9. It's it's in the section of elder. Under the banner of elder requirements and character. But listen. Elders aren't the only ones to be holding fast. The word, right? Hold fast the faithful word as he's been taught that it may, he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Titus 1 verse 9. You know, it's hard to continue in the gospel truth of Jesus Christ when so many others seem to be compromising and calling it quits. It's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. It's difficult to continue in the things that you've learned as a child. By the way, when it says these things that you've learned as a child from childhood... The word has in mind from infant stage, newborn stage. He's he's saying, Timothy, you've learned these truths since you were just a little one. Hold on to them. Continue in them. So many of your peers, young people, might be having fun. You might think they're having fun. Might look like they're having fun. Listen, the road that we travel is not a crowded road. It's not. It's not the popular road. But the Bible describes it as the narrow road. Difficult is the way and few find it. Essential number three, the essential for anchored living. We've got godly influence, godly desire, godly discernment. These are three things needed in this day that we live in. What's the last one according to the text? Look at the remainder of the passage. 
the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the fourth essential. We need a godly pattern. A godly pattern. What's the godly pattern? The Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Paul has already told Timothy, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That's 2 Timothy 1, 13. We need a godly pattern. Friends, essential to anchored living is having a godly pattern in place that guides you through this life. The Bible serves as our godly pattern for living. In principle, many may very well agree with that statement. But when it comes to living, truly a small number are holding fast to the pattern of these sound words revealed to us by the Lord. I want to spend just a moment here addressing this pattern of the scriptures. Paul is exhorting Timothy to continue in the things that he's known and that from childhood he's known these holy scriptures. What is it then about these holy scriptures that we should understand that Paul is saying Timothy needs to understand and by extension we need to understand? Why are these holy scriptures so important for us to hold on to? There's four parts to the pattern. That I'd like you to see. First part. The power of the scriptures. The power. This is the end of verse 15. These holy scriptures which are able. They're powerful to make you wise. For salvation through faith. Which is in Christ Jesus. The scriptures are able. To make you wise for salvation. The scriptures are. No other book. Contains the wisdom. For salvation. Notice the scriptures themselves don't save you, but they are powerful enough to make you wise for salvation. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith, which is in Christ Jesus alone. And the Bible elsewhere in Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word. Hearing by the word of God. So God is at work as his word goes forth. And as it lands in the heart of softened soil, I think about the parable of the soils in Mark 4. It's received and it begins to bear fruit 30, 60, 100 times, Lord willing, by the power of the Holy Spirit at work. The one who works effectively in those who believe. You know, as I was thinking about the word at work. And the power of the scriptures. I was reminded of the story of Brother Yoon. And and in his autobiography, he tells the story of when he was 16 years old. And he was meeting with a a village, a particular village. And they were meeting secretly at night for fear of authorities. And Brother Yoon is, is huddled up. He's circled with 16, 20 or more folks in this particular village. And and he's asking of the Lord what to share And Brother Yoon ends up reciting the Gospel of Matthew. 
He recites the Gospel of Matthew. And now, if you know anything about the Gospel of Matthew, you know that it's 28 chapters in length. He simply recites the Scriptures. And many he recounted in his book. Many came to know the Lord Jesus Christ through the simple recitation of the Holy Scriptures. Listen, the Scriptures are powerful to make one wise for salvation. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by this Word of God. The Word has power to make us wise for salvation. Here's the second part of the pattern that's in the text. And that's the source of the Scriptures I'd like to cue your attention. That's beginning of verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Some of your translations might have God breathed. The Scripture comes to us by God, co-authored by God, the Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21, where no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. That's what the Bible says. Prophecy never came by the will of man. How did it come then? Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by whom? The Holy Spirit. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Listen, on the surface, this sounds so simple. And yet, there are so many today who have a large problem with this. And this is not the time nor the place for us to go into great deep dive on the authority of the Scriptures. There's a lot of different places we could go here with this particular part of the verse. I'd like to simply just say that the Bible stands as the authoritative Word of God revealed to man. We live in a day, listen, we live in a day that despises authority. You've heard in the news the recent shootings. Blacks and whites, whites and blacks. Police officers, government leaders, parents. You know, I see it even more clearly today as as an official. Saw it again last night. You know, you put on a striped shirt, you are deemed the authority in the game. And there are so many young people today, so many coaches even today, many fans, adults sitting in the stands today, they have no respect for authority. And when it comes shining throughout on the court, you start to see how they actually live their lives. Because how they handle themselves on the court probably carries over to how they carry themselves at home as a son, as a daughter, under the authority of their parents. People are calloused toward authorities. It says here in in what the, the characteristics of these last times, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents... Haughty. People today without restraint, without self-control. It's the age of the independent spirit. 
And the slogan of the judges has arrived back on the scene. Judges 21, 25 says this very clearly. Describes our day. It says, in those days there were no, no king. There's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That sounds pretty familiar for today. Everyone doing what's right in his own eyes. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. The only problem is that the Bible instructs us not to be wise in our own eyes. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from what? Evil. Fear the Lord. Where is the fear of the Lord? We've lost the authority. Romans 13 says that our government leaders are God's ministers. Those that are set in place have been established and set in place by God himself. God's authoritative word is the pattern for anchored living. Third part of the pattern is profitability. Profitability of the scriptures. Look here. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for what? It's profitable for four things. I'm going to list these off. For doctrine. For teaching. God's word is profitable. Another word for profitable is useful. How many of you like things that are useful, that are helpful? You like those things? We're very practical people. We like things that are useful. Let me tell you something this morning. You can take this away and you can tell other people about it. The Bible is the most practical, useful, helpful, profitable book around. It's, it's profitable and it's useful. It's profitable for teaching. God's given to us his word to teach us. Okay? Doctrine. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Or some of your translations have for rebuke. For rebuke. Now this one we don't really care for. Out of the four, this is the one that we kind of cringe at. Again, it ties back to perhaps being a despiser of authority. We don't like someone to tell us what we've done wrong. Listen, God in his word has revealed to us the way he wants us to walk, the way he wants us to live, the direction he wants us to go. And he's given to us his word to teach us how to live this way, his way. He's also given his word to rebuke us, to reprove us when we're not going the way he desires for us to go. Isn't that loving of him to give us a word that's going to rebuke us when we go astray? And here it gets even better because he doesn't just reprove or rebuke. But the third thing he says here is that he corrects us. He, he, he gives us his word to bring us back to a state that we ought to be in. He corrects us. He mends us. He says, no, not this way. But he doesn't just stop talking there. He then shows us the right way. What a loving God. What else? It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Listen, if you have no desire to be righteous, to be godly in this present age, this word will probably not do a whole lot for you. Because it says here that it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. It's, this book is going to show you how to live righteously, how to live God's way. It's profitable in all four of those areas. 
And, you know, really, if we had the time, we could just go through uh, the scriptures. And in the New Testament in particular, and we could see different parts of, of the Gospels or different parts of Paul's letters that are specific, like Ephesians comes to mind, you know, and the first half is, is doctrine-oriented. You know, Romans, the first 11 chapters, doctrine. And then 12 through 16, you know, we see uh, some of this practical outworking of the doctrine, right? I mean, how to live. And he's correct. You know, some of the letters he's writing, Corinth, he's writing some things to the church at Corinth. He's correcting them. He's rebuking them, showing them that they ought not be living this way. The church at Thessalonica, the same way. He's, he's showing them some things. So as you read the New Testament in particular, it's important that you see that it's profitable in these four arenas. The writers are writing in such a way to help us understand these four things that it's profitable and useful for. Every time we pick up and open the word, what is it useful for? What's said here? Is this teaching us? Is this rebuking us? Is it rebuking me? Is it correcting me? Is it instructing me in righteousness? It's profitable. The third essential, excuse me, the fourth essential that we've looked at here is this pattern of God's word. And we see that in pattern, we've been given four parts of the pattern. Here's the last part of the pattern, and that's the expectation of the scriptures. The expectation of the scriptures or the outcome of the scriptures, the, the results of the scriptures, the, the uh, intended objective of being in the scriptures. And it says here in verse 17 that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Every good work. Notice it says that the man of God. Again, I'm just putting it out there. If you don't have the desire... If you're not interested in being righteous, this, this is about the man of God, man and woman of God, being complete, being perfect, mature, fitted. In fact, the same root there is in the word complete as it is thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped, fitted out for every good work. The Bible fits us out perfectly for every good work. And you know, we are called as God's workmanship. We're called, right, to carry out good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. We see even in 2 Timothy that we are to cleanse ourselves, to be a vessel for his honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for what? Every good work. Friends, listen, how do we prepare ourselves to go about these good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do? It's through the pattern of Scripture. And the expectation here when we get to 17, the expectation, here's the expectation when we are doing things according to the pattern of Scripture, the outcome, the result, the objective, is that we become complete as He's intended us to be complete. When we choose to live apart from these Scriptures, we're missing out on what God's planned for us. He's planned for us through His Word to be able to live this way. He's called us to live this way. I was excited this week as I began reading. Because it just brought afresh this, this Bible that we have. And how useful it is. How profitable it is. And then it dawned on me how sad it is and how tragic it is that so many people today don't read it. 
People who profess the name of Jesus Christ, they don't read it. They don't know it. They don't have it. They're not speaking it. I believe that there are many here today who desire to experience the power of God and a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something here as we close about the word. Let me talk about these essentials in the days we're living in. I, I came across a, a story that from an individual who was reading in the Psalms. And on his day, he was reading in the Psalms in chapter 37, and he came across verse 21. In fact, said he went back and read verse 21 again of Psalm 37, which says, The wicked borrows and does not repay, but the righteous shows mercy and gives. And I'm sharing this illustration in closing because I think it's important for us to understand from a real practical standpoint how the Bible helps us live. What the Bible is intended to do in our lives. And he said that that he went back to verse 21. And verse 21 caught his attention. He read it two or three times. Because you see, it dawned on him as he read verse 21 of chapter 37 in Psalms. That he had, a few months back, asked his parents for a $500 loan. And he told his parents that as soon as he got his next paycheck, he would pay them back. And it had been months since he had remembered that. And he said as he's reading Psalm 37 and he read verse 21 and the Lord pointed him back to verse 21 and he read verse 21 and he read it again. He said it revealed to me a truth. And here was the truth it revealed to him. That the wicked borrows and does not repay. That was the truth that was revealed to him as he read that. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Here's what he did. First thing he did was he repented of his sin. He repented of his sin, asked the Lord to forgive him for his sin. Then he got out his checkbook. He wrote a check for $500 and he gave it to his parents and he was reconciled to his parents. Listen, when we read the Bible and we are directed to a verse, when the Lord speaks to us through his word, What's called for at that point is an adjustment. An adjustment in the way we have been operating. This adjustment is closely followed by obedience. And then as we obey what his word says, then we come to experience what it is to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to experience what it is to actually walk in this truth That he's given to us in the scriptures. It's a wonderful example. It's an example. And I put it before you in closing. To show you and to help you understand that as you read. As you come across things in the scripture that the Lord is impressing upon you to look more closely at. Perhaps he's having you look at it because there's an adjustment that needs to happen in your life. And in my life. And I pray that. We don't just look at it and go, well, that's a good one, and do nothing. 
He's given us his word that we might see it, we might adjust, we might obey, we might then walk with him. Friends, we live in perilous times. And there are some essentials from his word that we need to hold on to. We must not, we must not give up on the truth of God's word. He's given to us his word. We must hold fast to that pattern of sound word in these days ahead. As a church, collectively, we must do that. Encourage, exhort, rebuke one another in the word. Let's walk in the word together. Let's pray. Father, you've given to us essentials in this word. An essential is something we can't do without. It's a must. We need influence. The pattern in scripture is that the older ones are influencing the younger ones. But we also know that younger ones can be an influence in scripture. We see that many young people were influencing others older than them. The bottom line is there there needs to be this godly influence in our lives. And I pray as parents we would remember our role as parents to influence them toward the things of Christ. To be living before them the things of Christ. I pray we would have godly desire to understand that all who are godly, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And Lord, we don't know what that looks like for us in the days ahead. But we entrust, we just give it to you, Lord. And pray that we would have strength from your spirit to be able to walk through those hard times. We pray for your grace. Enable us, Lord, to go through those times for your namesake, for your glory. And Father, grant us godly discernment in these days in which we live. Help us to know right from wrong, truth from error. And Lord, you've given to us the word that shows us how to, how to discern our situations. And Father, we thank you for the godly pattern you've given to us in the word. This word you revealed to us, may we hide it, truly hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. I pray that we would fear you, that we would depart from evil, that we would desire to walk in righteousness. Father, I say thank you for your word. It's a word of truth, it's a word of hope. It's a word that's going to lead us in righteousness in these days ahead. Oh, I pray this church would be concerned, most concerned about walking in righteousness. Not in what other people are doing, other people are saying, and where other people seem to be going in these days. But we would continue as a body, continue to hold on and hold fast to the word of truth. Thank you, Father. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.